Hello and welcome to Scott Rock, our brand new podcast by Climb Scotland, bringing you climbing stories and mountain tales from Scottish underdogs and local heroes. Your hosts are the legendary, well, me, Callum McBain, and me, Robert McKenzie. Callum, what is the plan, bud? Well, we both love interview podcasts, and for our jobs, we get to travel around and speak to loads of different climbers. So we thought we would combine both of these things and share the stories we hear through this podcast. That's right. We're not just interviewing the hardcore among you, but literally anyone that we think has a cool story to tell. And we know that there's a lot of you out there. So keep an eye out every fortnight for the latest Climber Chat. And if you have anyone you'd like to hear from, or if you want to be in the show yourself, let us know and spread the Scott Rock word. And remember, guys, when you get back out there climbing, back to the crags, back to the walls, be safe and do your buddy checks. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, everyone, you're back with Callum from the Scott Rock podcast. Let's just dive straight back into part two with Simon Yearsley. Climbing walls, I think, are interesting in particular just because of the, I suppose, the spectrum of people that are part of that community yeah like you could speak to a seven-year-old who's an elite climber or there could be someone in their 60s been climbing for a long time and you have that common ground where a lot of other sports you don't get those two people meeting there's a I, i think you're absolutely right and i think you know if you look at and we'll we'll take perth wall as an as an example that you know i was down there two weeks ago and there were some guys I think three or four of them, they were scout leaders. They were wanting to get their um, uh, SPL, um, SPL, um, th- yeah, the SPA, SPL. It's now changed as <laughs> well know, to make yeah, even yeah, more confusing. Anyway, they were wanting to get the qualification, which you know well more about them, <laughs> the qualification that they need to be able to take scouts climbing indoors. Mm. Um, and they were, they were completely new to it. And they were just doing all the things that you see people new to climbing do like slapping their feet on and 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 overreaching for holes and not thinking about where the balance was and I was just chatting to one of them and I said have a think about just maybe just trying to put your feet on silent just so that this the silent foot thing and uh, and he said oh that was fantastic that was brilliant and they were pulling a rope down and I said what you might want to think about is just unclipping the penultimate bolt and the ultimate draw before you pull the rope down, then you've always got the first draw clipped. You know, it's a standard practice on a sport. Climbing stops you breaking your ankle on the climbing wall. And it's like, oh, that's fantastic and brilliant. And we had lots, and the, and I've seen them every, you know, I've seen them usually once a week or so. And what they're doing is they are, I see them as getting loads of enjoyment and fun out of being there and learning stuff. And then I look at myself there and I love it and I get, loads of enjoyment and loads of fun and I learned stuff from other people as well so I I might have been climbing for 40 odd years they've been climbing for a week but that active that that participation in climbing enables you to enjoy yourself and learn stuff you know um and so you know we're almost both getting the same kind of thing out of it um with totally different degrees of uh technical ability uh, and years of experience but that participation in a climbing wall environment lets you have fun and lets you learn stuff yeah it's got to be good and there are and I you know every time I go to that wall you know that I'm 
probably one of the worst climbers there, you know, and sea climbers who are a million times better than me and climbing far more fluently and beautifully and smoothly than me, um, you know, whether they're my age or different ages or way, way younger. And it's, I love it. I love, I love watching and being around people when they're climbing. Um, even more so than, you know, the years I spent doing first ascents in winter in Scotland, you've only got your mate's arse to look at usually. <laughs> you know, um, but, but, you know, saying that, you know, Mark and I have, have, have done the same thing. We've been enjoying ourselves and been learning lots. Uh, so I think that vehicle of climbing enables you to, to learn and develop and improve and, and, you know, learn more about yourself and how you, you are in certain situations as well. So it's, yeah, it's a powerful thing. Powerful mm. thing. It's interesting as well, I suppose, the climbing all environment is not just like different ages and backgrounds. You, you mentioned ability as well, yeah. which I think is what sets it apart from most other sports where you wouldn't have David Beckham, it's my terrible football yeah, yeah, example. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. there's probably more modern ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't have David Beckham training next to someone who's just got into football. Absolutely. But you could feasibly have Dave McLeod training next to yeah, a birthday party session. Yeah. So you see the almost like the start and the end of the yeah. journey in the same place, which is really cool. And I, I, I think you're right. I think there are a few other sports. The only other one I, I can think of is is actually uh, it's bizarrely is downhill mountain biking where you have the same course, and I know that because my son Ed spent a few years really getting involved big time in, in downhill mountain biking, was competing at kind of, he was yeah, competing at kind of GB level. Um, and, and he was, he would be training, he, in the youngest age range, he'd be competing on that same track in the same event as, as G. Atherton and some of his, you know, some world, you know, world champions. And... Yeah, I think there aren't many others though. There aren't many others when you can rub, rub side, you know, be in the same environment on a on a level playing field mm. with you know with people of such different abilities. Um, I um, I do, a, do do a lot of work with uh, with Montaigne, and and they've looked after me for six six years, seven years or so, and. Occasionally, people recognise me, um, and which is always acutely embarrassing. <laughs> but he's also it's. I've had a couple of times at Perth Climbing Wall, almost the "What are you doing here?" type. Not not quite, but you can kind of sense that. Oh, I thought you'd be up, a, you know, you'd be off in the mountains somewhere. But and it's almost that you. I'm I, I'm allowed to come here as well, you know, and I'm allowed. To, it's not allowed. To, that's the wrong clumsy way of putting it. But it's. It's reinforcing that point about it. It doesn't it, that that climbing walls are a crucible for for a, a massive variation of ability, uh, expertise um, uh, to to mix, you know, and to to have fun in the same place, you know. And with you know, when you get birthday parties in, it can get really noisy, and it's brilliant because you get a whole lot of eight year olds absolutely loving the fact that their mate has just got to the top of that four plus and the, the whole place is cheering them on and it's yeah it's it's good for the soul it's got to be good for the soul yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, kind of backtrack a little bit because we mentioned it a few times but really interested to ask you because you mentioned so you have a two a son and a daughter don't you yeah, that's right, yeah, Ed yeah, and yeah, Eleanor yeah, yeah. Um, and a wife as well Sarah yeah, yeah. Um, and something about one of your previous stories really kind of jumped out at me was the the Glenetta story. Okay. And yeah. you mentioning that you were this sort of 
bright-eyed 15-year-old who kind of got left out of the bus to go up to Stob yeah. Corn and Lochin. Um, it, it's interesting that risk, like, if so you, if Ed or um, Eleanor was in the same position, would you feel worried about them at all? If they were that 15-year-old that stepped out? Is it a different time? It's a different time. Um, I wasn't a father then. <laughs> um, and I wasn't a husband then. I think I'll try and answer that in two ways. Firstly, talk about my my children, um, our children. Sarah and I are blessed to have two wonderful young people, um, Ed, 19, Eleanor, 21, uh, who, who share at least part of my love for mountains. And Eleanor... Um, went and worked in Kandersteg uh, at the International Scout Centre in Kandersteg. Oh, wow. She worked there over a couple of summers um, and she's always been into the kind of uh, the guiding movement, scouting and guiding movement. And she worked there over a couple of summers and then she'd finished her first year at uni uh, in Edinburgh. She worked there over the summer. She was a hut warden. She used to look after the two hut, the two alpine huts in the in the Swiss Alps in Kandersteg. That was my job. I should have been doing that <laughs> job. But anyway, she had that wonderful job. And then she said, Dad, they, they want me to, um, oh, I've got the opportunity to stay on and do a, a year's contract with them. Um, so to work in, in at this International Scout Centre for, for as a full-time paid job with a Swiss bank account um, for a year uh, and to stop and to not go back to uni. And and my both mine and Sarah's view as well, just, just do it. You know, the, the ability to spend a year working at somewhere as amazing as that in you know, the most idyllic Swiss mountain alpine valley you can imagine. It's like, that. I think that's almost every parent's dream, certainly mine and Sarah's dream, that our children will grow up to want to, to want that and to value that. So something about working in a community of like-minded people in an alpine environment, bring it on, you know, does my daughter want to do that? Absolutely. And it's the same with our son, Ed. He took a year out when he... Um, when he left school to, before he went to university and he went off to Morzine, uh, to, um, sorry, to, um, I forgot where he went anyway, he went off to the Alps, uh, spent four months becoming a ski instructor. So, you know, and he came back with his, uh, Mirabel, he went to Mirabel, uh, came back with his beta level one and level two. So our children, I think, I, I am so, so proud of my children, of our children and so, so proud of the fact that they they like mountain environments. That doesn't mean to say they're going to be climbers. That doesn't. That's not the most important thing. But they love mountain environments and that uh, that community of being around uh, around mountains. Do I worry for them? Yeah, of course I do. Um, does every parent? Yeah, you know. Ed and I have done a couple of routes in winter, and when Ed has led a couple of pictures, which he had, I'm looking at what he's doing and the gear he's placing with a little bit more interest. I think. <laughs> Um, but I just put that as a natural part of being a being a, a parent. Does my my appetite for risk has never? This is hard to describe, and it sounds really crass. But my attitude to risk in especially in mountains hasn't really changed a lot. When I was fifteen, sixteen, I didn't really want to die. <laughs> um, when I was 30 and 40 and 50 and now 57 I don't really want to die in the mountains you know I've got better things to do I've got more responsibility having been married now for 25 years I've got more responsibility having two amazing children 
but the bottom line is, Callum, I still don't want to die. So, you know, I've I've taken risks in mountains and it's probably more pertinent to talk about Scottish mountains, Scottish climbing in winter and uh, and climbing in the greater ranges. I've taken more calculated risks in those environments than I have done anyway. But actually, I, I think I've been really i've not changed my appetite for risk so i feel relatively comfortable with soloing moderately easy ground in the himalaya because normally you have to because you've got to move fast um and i feel relatively happy doing that in a scottish winter setting but when i'm setting up a belay i'll lace it you know i'll get three good points and it'll be there and i won't skimp on placing gear when i'm leading and i won't I'll never leave a belay in winter or summer without placing a piece within the first couple of meters to protect the belay. And those are things I've kind of always done. And I'm, and I am very, uh, very avalanche aware. So I'm very snow condition aware. I think I've got a lot of years of experience and a lot of developed learning. So I've not just got one year's experience repeated 40 odd times. You know, I've gone out of my way to learn a lot about uh, avalanche uh, and snow behaviour in, in Scottish winter and in the mountains. So my appetite for risk hasn't really shifted a great deal um, because actually I think I'm a relatively risk-averse climber or I'm, I'm climbing within the risks that I know and I'm able to quantify those risks. Have I taken some you know, risky decisions. Yes, of course, of course I have. Yeah, have I fallen off and snapped my hand off? Yeah, but <laughs> that was eighty centimeters off the yeah. deck. You know, rock climbing we were, as well. So. I know, absolutely. Yeah, but it, but it's it's still the, you know, there are still these, you know, I, I've climbed with enough people over the years, and I've I've never, I've never lost any. I've never had anybody killed climbing with me or climbing on a expedition out in the greater ranges uh i never had anybody called with me so roped to me or roped kind of in my immediate vicinity uh summer or winter uh alps scotland summer winter alps summer winter wherever and actually i'm quite uh, kind of be proud of that um pleased with that thankful for that you know all of those things uh i've had quite a few good friends who have been killed in the mountains. Um, and so I'm acutely aware of what the mountains can do to people. Um, but because I don't want to die in the mountains and because I'm a husband and because I'm a father, and again, because I don't want to die in the mountains, that's a, you know, that I, I am, I'm, I think my, my appetite for risk over the last 40 odd years has stayed relatively the same i'll write a book on it one day now i probably won't actually put it again but it, it, it's it's a it's a question i think is is really worth asking a lot a lot of people um because i know some people when they when they move from not having a permanent relationship with somebody to having a permanent relationship so forget whether it's married or not but you know, when they move into a permanent relationship they their appetite for risk changes when they have 
children, their appetite for risk changes. When they, uh, their career moves to a certain point, they, they, and their career can give them more than maybe it could have done before, then you know, people, their appetite for risk changes and their, their, ability, their, their desire to do certain things changes. And that's fine. That's, you know, everybody, each to their own. I don't think one can ever say that one is right or wrong to do any one of those. But I always think it's an interesting question to ask people. Um, you know, and you're a, you're a newish dad, you know, and I don't know if that's changed the way that you look at risk in your climbing, you know. And Lucy's, what, two and... Yeah. Two and a half. Two and a half now, yeah. So and then a two month old. Yeah. Um and then it's a two months, yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting I have a kind of constant dilemma in my head about this that on the one hand you want to kind of speaking specifically about kids rather than relationships, yeah. you want to show your kids to in a way live like a risk filled life. Otherwise there's not much point in actually yeah. living if you're just gonna yeah. wrap yourself in cotton wool. But then especially if younger kids on the other hand that I mean, if I died winter climbing, at the age they are now, that's most of their formative years, they won't have my influence. And it's weighing up, like, yeah. what extent, yeah. where's the balance? Yeah. And that's why I think this this almost is like ad nauseum in podcasts, the question about risk. But it's really interesting because everyone has like a different answer and Absolutely. that's the reason it, it comes up yeah. so often. Yeah. Um, you know, and, it, and it's... I've I've had... I've had some times in my climbing when I'm not prepared to carry on when Malcolm and I be climbing, for example. Uh, in fact, Malcolm, I, myself and Neil Silver, a few years ago were on the north face of Triglav uh, in Slovenia, which is just an amazing, amazing mountain. Uh, actually, it's rubbish. Nobody go there. Don't go there. Um, <laughs> But in in winter we were we were trying a thing called the long German route, um, and we got halfway up this uh, this route, and I just felt just really uncomfortable with the fact that the the snow was the snow the snow was probably all right, but it, it felt shit. There was a the forecast was that the weather was going to break within the next twenty four hours. Um, the uh, we were halfway up this thing when we thought we were going to be three quarters way up it in the timescales we were. So we were well behind time. Retreat was going to be really, 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 really difficult. Um, complex, steep limestone face. It was zigzagging around it. And I, 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 I was like, I don't want to be here. I really, really don't want to be here. And I felt, I felt scared being there. Really, really scared. And with... You know, with hindsight, devolved you know far too much of that decision making to to Neil and to Malcolm. Basically, sat on my ass and you know was complete useless. And that's the first time that had ever happened to me. And that really had a big impact on me as to why that why the heck did that happen? Why 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 did I get into that headspace? And it was a, probably a culmination of loads of things of you know being quite stretched out on this route. Um, bad weather coming in, we just could not find the right way to, to, to get off onto what should have been some relatively straightforward ground. We couldn't get there. We're going to be committed to some much harder climbing above, etc., etc., etc. And it was, and that's for the first time ever, I, I was overwhelmed by that situation. Um, and I found, I, I found myself un, unable really to make 
um, unable to make uh, logical decisions about things um, because I was scared, you know, and that's the first time I've ever been really perturbed and really felt that I was in a very, very risky situation. But actually, I, I, we, we weren't, you know, we were in a pretty gnarly situation, but we probably weren't going to die, you know, we probably would have got up it, we probably could have got down it if we'd have really tried. So there are times when I think when we talk about risk, it's really easy to talk about risk hypothetically. It's sometimes really good to choose specific examples and say, well, what was happening to your 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 level of comfort with risk then and and in that situation that and, and always point you know try and try and pull the learning from specific situations rather than try to talk about it hypothetically does that make sense yeah almost like so yeah. so law doesn't make sense in writing but law is then proven by cases that make an example of it and Absolutely. then kind of yeah. yeah i see what you mean and there's been you know on the um we uh, in 2014 uh it was so, yeah, I can't remember what it was. Yeah, about 2014, we were, Malcolm, myself uh, and uh, Paul were out in um, uh, northwest India. We were wanting to make the first ascent of a southwest face of the mountain called Remo 3. We didn't, but we made the first ascent of a, a mountain called Donglong Kangre, which was, it was a two and a half day, three day, three day trip up and down this mountain. Great climbing. But the, the, on the summit day, we had probably 600, five, 600 metres of um, about 50 degree snowy, icy terrain that then merged into 50 degree, really crappy mixed, loose as hell terrain. And you're not going to be late on this. You're not going to, you, you're not going to get the rope out. There's no point. You're just going to, you know, get into a rhythm and you're just going to solo it. And with a couple of photos that we got, there's one of that I think Paul took of me just, and he's it's looking down on me, and you can just see this, this incredible exposure on this ice slope, and the slope just whoomph, disappears off you know, a kilometre and a bit down to the glacier. And I remember when we were climbing up this thing, and it was it was it had just got light, but you're in your own kind of little space. Dun, 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 dun. And you look down occasionally you think, yeah, if, if I lost it, I could probably could probably ice axe break. I'd be all right. And there's no way you could ice axe break it. You're a tumbling cartwheel death, you know. Um, but you, you, you get on with it, you know, because what you're doing there is if you stopped and roped up, you have far more risk, far more risk of, of, of being there for longer and therefore stone forward, rock forward, whatever. You've just got to make those decisions that actually are the safest way of progressing. Yeah. Um, it may feel spooky, and you may try some inner dialogue to persuade yourself that you're okay, but you're in, you're in a you know in a a consequentially fatal position if something goes wrong. Um, but what you're doing is you're doing it in the safest way possible. Um, so you're there, so you get on and you do it with the, the least degree of risk. Yeah, it's a hard concept to wrap your head around. I guess that moving fast is sometimes less risky than absolutely soloing yeah. something that you shouldn't fall off. Yeah, which is why quite, people quite often scathe soloing like Alex Honnold and soloing is bad and that sort of thing but I mean scrambling is a form of soloing in reality like if you fall off the consequences are just as bad Absolutely. as Alex Honnold fall, falling off it's just yeah. you're gonna you're gonna go splat okay Alex is gonna go splat yeah. you're gonna if you're gonna fall off 
you know, oh, Bristly Ridge or you or you fall off um, the the Conmore Jellagarette, you know, you're going to go bounce, 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 splat. You, you're going to anyway. It's it's yeah. you know the and the the number of times we you know you see people, um, especially in winter, uh, and I, for some reason in the the Lake District seems to have this thing where you'll often get watercourses, low-level watercourses that freeze. Sour milk gill in, in top end of uh, bottom of uh, Borrowdale, something like that. And I remember, you know, as a kid, people, we'd go and solo these things and the ice falls at the top of Honester Pass and we'd solo them because they they're not real winter climbs. And you'd solo, and you're 80, 90, 100 feet up this, you know, grade two, grade three, but because it's kind of in a, the bed of a gully, of a gill, you know, and, the, and you're in a nice lake district, people would, people solo them. If you fall off that, you're not going to walk away from it. You know, you're not going to walk away from it. And so sometimes I think people don't actually look at the situation that they're in with enough uh, of a sensible risk management head on. Uh, and they think, ah, it'll be okay because lots of other people do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. Scr- scrambling probably isn't as impressive um, as as what Alex did, but yeah. <laughs> in terms of consequence, if it goes wrong, yeah, it's it's in the same ballpark, isn't it? Yeah, it's just the difficulty or people's perception of the difficulty that's kind of yeah. skewed. Yeah. Um, yeah. I suppose that another point to backtrack a little bit that I was quite interested in is. Because you're going to talk about you own two businesses as well. So you yeah. Did, or you don't own the camper van? Camper van, uh, Big Tree Camper Vans. We ran it for 10 years. Uh, wonderful business. Gave us a really good income. Gave us a great, great, uh, uh, yeah, really good lifestyle. Met thousands of really fantastic customers. And we realised that basically we run we run the, the Scottish Deli in Dunkeld. Um, so that's a speciality food shop during the day. It's also a restaurant in the evening. It has an outside catering business. We also run Big Tree Camper Vans. That's business number four. And Sarah works for, well, she is a company called Engage Scotland. So three days a week, Sarah looks after contemporary art in Scotland. It's like, holy moly, that's five different businesses. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we've just stopped doing Big Tree Camper Vans and um, we've, we're focusing on the, on the deli um, and on Sarah's work. But trying to take a little step back as well and have mm. a couple of days a week where we've got some of those, um, what they call days off. Yeah, that <laughs> idea of like, of not actually working out, having to work every day. Um, so, yeah, we kept busy with, uh, yeah, with all sorts of things. Yeah. How did you, really interesting, particularly for me as well, having young kids, but how did you balance, at the time, I mean, winter climbing a lot, presumably training for winter climbing yeah. or alpinism, having young kids and also having all that's all these businesses that's yeah. like a lot going on yeah you know, it, once. It, it 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 always was a lot of things to juggle and i you know i i make the joke now that you know we were working probably eight to nine days a week just on those <laughs> businesses and and i kid you not you know it, it was a lot of it's been a lot of physical effort and physical hard work what what we did with the winter climbing actually it was quite straightforward because <clears throat> malcolm and i um, at the start of each winter, we go through a series of email conversations where we uh, book out certain dates. And basically what we do is book usually every other weekend um, during the Scottish winter season. So from uh, late October through to early March, April, 
we would book every other weekend and those would be winter climbing weekends and some of those would have a, a Friday and Monday off in them as well and and I would go climbing those weekends and when I didn't have those days booked with Malcolm or with maybe a couple of other partners as well then I wouldn't go climbing uh, and when I was training I trained in the evening when the kids had gone to bed um, and so I think being um, the only way I could do it and again it's a bit like this and you've got to talk about specific things rather than in general was for me was to carve out those those days those weekends I know Simon Richardson for example when when Simon was was working he's retired now but when we he was working Sunday would be the day he would climb and he would climb every Sunday mm. but but he wouldn't climb on any other days or hardly ever so I think most people who want to do to do their sport at a reasonably high level or the only way I've been able to do that sport at a reasonably high level is to have a degree of focus and structure around it um and as and and also a, you know a partner and a family who understand that's that for me to do for me to operate at that level then that's the way that you know that I that is the is the least worst way of doing it if you like on the in terms of impact on the rest of the family um but it's hard you know mm. and it's and it's hard to go into the garage and do some pull-ups and you know and get on a weights bench and, and do the things you need to do and it's hard to you know go out for a run and you know it's 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 actually slightly easy to go to the climbing wall so i'm quite in terms yeah. of you know the, the the more rock specific training is is nicer um than it is just to go running and push weights and and pump up and down on a you know on a small home wall i've got in there in terms of uh extra tool, you know tooling training yeah um but for me yeah about focus and and structure around it um i couldn't i can't do it with the oh let's go climbing if it's good yeah yeah i mean in the kind of early 90s malcolm and i um we were we've only been living in sarah and i've been in scotland for 18 19 years and um, before that there was a short period of time when both malcolm and i were living in in yorkshire he still does um and so we would again carve out weekends to go to scotland we'd also um buy uh, air tickets to go out to geneva so we would buy and we'd pre-buy them in the days where you could buy like 15 quid flights on uh, on on um, uh, on easyjet so at the start of the as soon as the winter flights came out we would buy a series of maybe five uh long weekends so like a thursday to a tuesday buy flights out to geneva so we could go climbing out in chamonix in the winter if the weather was good um and so you know you're investing i don't know maybe 100 quid mm. in flight tickets but then you've got those weekends those long weekends booked yeah. and if the weather's good we we would fly out to to, to geneva and jump in the car hire and go to sham uh, and it worked we've got some you know got some it, it sometimes it didn't work and you'd think oh just spent 100 quid on airfares and i've gone to gone to ben nevis every weekend <laughs> yeah um but yeah stru- structure and a bit of organization really. yeah it sounds like that's been quite because you said that was in the early nineties. You used to do that yeah. with Malcolm, so that's yeah. been quite consistent. Having that like blocks, we, out we've time. done it. We've done it the whole time, um, and it, because it's worked, you know, it's worked. It's worked for us. You know, I, my climbing partnership with Malcolm, you know, since late eighties when we first met. Um, Malcolm is lit, two weeks ago just uh, retired, 
um, he's a, a, a reasonably senior, was a very reasonably senior um, clinical psychologist, mm. um, head of adult learning, was head of adult learning for, um, uh, I can't remember which one it invades, one of the Northeast uh, health boards. And he's, you know, he's, we've both done big jobs. You know, we've both done big jobs at fairly senior levels. Um, before I started my, our own businesses, I used to work in a big corporate world as an HR director um, for a FTSE 10 company. So we've, we've both had big proper jobs and therefore the only way to create space and, and both had big proper relationships and the only way to create the space to do what we wanted to do with the degree of um, kind of, when I say professional, the, deg- the degree of, you know, skill and, uh, and uh, be as good as we have been and are is to, is to get that structure around it. You know, M- Malcolm has, you know, up until very recently, full time job, permanent relationship with uh, with his partner Donna, who's also a you know a, a tri coach, triathlete coach, and runs her own business as well. So we're dealing with busy people here. Yeah. We, we we're well out of our climbing bum phase. <laughs> um, we did that. Both of us did that differently. Um, but but you know we're well out of that, um, and have had to spend most of us of time dealing with um, what's it called reality. <laughs> That's the word. Yeah. Don't say that. It scares me having to deal with it. No, I know. It's all right. It's good fun. It's good fun. It's good fun. Was there ever kind of like an epiphany moment where you felt like you had to sacrifice one of those three things and focus on one more than the other? Or So it was family, work and climbing, I suppose, were the three things. That's a a good question. Have I sacrificed? There there was a time uh, about 12 years ago uh, 12, 13 years ago, when I was working for a big, big FTSE top 10 company as an HR director, being paid a lot of money, um, living here in Bankfoot, but virtually every Monday was driving to the airport, jumping on a plane, driving, uh, flying down to um, West Yorkshire, flying down to London, spending time in Edinburgh, coming back on a Thursday or a Friday. And the epiphany moment was one time when I was driving back up the road from the airport and I thought geez I've not I've not seen my wife I've not seen my kids I've not seen Backfoot which is a lovely village where we stay I've not seen Highland Perthshire um, I've done some training but I've not done as much as I should and I've done and that's been the same for the last four weeks so for the last month I'd just been focusing on work and at that point I I thought actually I, I that that balance was was out of kilter. It was, I was working too much. Um, as I say, doing a ridiculously well-paid job and a really interesting job as an HR director in this company. But it was compromising the other things that I was that I was doing. It was giving me loads of money so I could go away on trips. It was giving me loads of money so I can provide for you know the the family and friends and, and community around me. But I, physically, I wasn't in. And so I, I, I went to uh, see the chief exec and said, "Look, I need to go and do something different. I'm not going to not going to do this." And then, after I then resigned from that that job, um, and we didn't know what we were going to do. Um, we spent six months or so thinking about what I was going to do next. Then we set up Big Tree camper vans after a while. But in that intervening time, Ed, our son, we were sitting around for a meal one night, and uh, and Ed said, "So Ed would have been." about six at the time and he we was just sitting around having dinner and he said oh this is great he said 
but do you remember when when have this was the kind of second or third meal of the night we'd sat down and had in a row and ed said this is great do you remember when when having dad home for me was a really special thing and i thought shit no i didn't <laughs> you know but for my son it was having dad home for me was a really special thing yeah. and i knew at that point i'd made the right decision i'd made the right decision to get the balance of family almost forget the climbing bit it was the it was the balance of work and family that was that there was that was out of kilter uh, and it was when ed said you know I, you know and there was a silence in the meal i was like shit no i didn't i didn't realize that was such a big thing for you then you think how bad is that as a dad and that was, you know, one of the things I did to put it right. So it's about taking action. Yeah. yeah. We can sit there and with benefit of 2020 hindsight, hate most of our lives, you know, and sometimes, not hate, but, you know, you, people look back and say, oh, I wish I'd done that. And if I'd done that earlier, just, you, you've got to do it. You're only on this mortal coil once, you know. Um, and so it's too easy sometimes to get, and especially with money and especially with career, to, to let that drive too many things, you know. And yet, you know, we spent a lot of time earlier talking about that fantastic community of, of for us, for, of our sport of climbing, you know, and, and that can give us so much, you know, so much more than necessarily a really big paycheck. Yeah. And being around with our children and our family and seeing them bloom and blossom can, you know, on a personal level gives me so much more than a, than a big paycheck. It'd be nice not to have to worry about the bills, but, you know, <laughs> you worry, worry about the bills and you get so much more, more done as well. Don't know if that again. I'm conscious some of these questions are starting with a one thing and then they're going on to lots of other things. But that's that's maybe the the nice thing about a, a conversation around these things. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, and I think you know how, how old I can't remember how, how old are you? Twenty seven. Twenty seven. So so that I and yet what I see in you is somebody who's really enthused around the sport of climbing and really enthused about being a you know being a being a partner and really enthused about being a parent and it's do you know what I think sometimes it's the, the main bit is to be enthused about something <laughs> you know it's to be passionate about something and it almost it doesn't matter what it is but you know when we look and I think we're lucky as climbers because the, the nature of climbing and adventure and mountains and journeys and partners is is something that is for me anyway is quite easy to get excited and passionate about but when I look around the, 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 this sounds really dispassionate on other people, and I don't mean it to be, but it is true. I see a scary number of people who have no passion. Uh, oh, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Because for a lot of people, they struggle with so many things that having a passion. But, you know, people who have, who, who, who don't get excited about things. And I, I struggle to put myself <coughs> in, in the shoes of a person like that. Um, and again, that might have a degree of arrogance in there. My apologies if it does. Um, and it's not like every bit of my life has been super easy. Some of it, big chunks of it, has not been easy in an easy ride. And I've had to make some really hard trade-offs with things. But all along in there is that feeling of just be passionate about something doesn't matter what it is it, it can be you know it can be your partner it can be your your car it can be your job it can be doesn't matter what it is but but have life and vitality and vibrancy and passion about something yeah and i'm supremely lucky to be passionate about this whole thing we call climbing in all its different you know all its different formats um and i and i i can't think what i would 
change that to you know um but most importantly it's a passion yeah, yeah. no i definitely agree i think i think even for my first time climbing because we've talked a lot about these different like epiphanies and sort yeah. of light bulb moments yeah. which people think are a bit of a cliche like you don't really get them but i think they really do exist and even my first time climbing was like this is what yeah. i want to do yeah. forever and i've always Every time I go climbing, I have that same initial spark in my head, and it still keeps on going. So I, again, I feel really blessed to have found the sport that kind of I have passion for. Yeah. Um, There's a, a. I've got to be careful about the language I use, but for the past thirty odd years, every time Malcolm and I have gone out climbing in winter, when you've climbed with someone for thirty odd years, the, the language you develop between you two of you, and the stories you tell each other, and the 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 things you drop into just sound completely ludicrous to the outside world. Malcolm and I have these two little sub-characters in our climbing lives, which are um, Lancastrian stroke Yorkshire, um, uh, Yorkshire, cl- anyway, Yorkshire climbers. And, and we adopt, various, I'm a Yorkshire myself, so I can get away with it, but we adopt various faux accents as we're going through the day. And one of the things on every climbing, winter climbing trip I've had with Malcolm, every day out in the hills in winter, and I'm going to swear this, but you have to excuse me. Is as we're walking, <laughs> in, it. as we're walking in, it. I, oh, fucking love winter climbing, me. And every time in the last thirty-five years, I have said that to Malcolm as we get out, and we laugh about it. And, but, but I do, <laughs> I do, I fucking love winter climbing, and I just, I love it. I love it with a passion. I love the walking. I love the 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 cold. I love the excitement. I love the weather. I love the challenges. I love the the reward. I love the. I love doing new routes. Oh, doing new routes in Scotland in winter is so so powerful, and you know I love all those things with a with a massive degree of passion. Yeah, you know, and I'm not doing those anymore, which is trust me, it's been a really really hard, um, a hard a hard process to go through and hard decisions to make, but I think the interesting bit is the passion. And the power and the love for that sport, um, for me, really has, has, has come to the fore because of that. Um, so if you hear Malcolm and I talking in weird accents at all in the, in the hills, you'll know what it's, you'll know what it's to do. It's your own language you have of your climbing partner, though, isn't it? That's weird. It's interesting. It's, it's, yeah, go on. Uh, I suppose just to round up so we don't take too long, because I was, I was having a wee peek at the time. We've gone for an hour and a half. Have we? I know. <laughs> hey, this is either going to be really good or really, really dull and boring. Um, but, yeah. but I suppose like a roundup question is: so your kind of goals have changed now, kind of from winter climbing yeah. and alpinism through to rock climbing. Yeah. Um, is there a place you really want to climb in this summer, or a route you really want to do, or anything like that? Is really inspiring you at the moment. That there of... is. Yeah, I want. There's. There's probably three, three places I would love to climb um i've never been to mingley and uh i just i wanted the the plan is to go there this may um with chris uh, chris pastor and the great climbing partners um i was going to be in um northwest india uh climbing with malcolm but hey mingley i've never been there <laughs> so i would love to go there and the weather of course will be perfect it will be absolutely cracking and we'll get all of those classic e3s done tick and they'll be brilliant um, I I want 
the other the other two other places I want to go um, this year outside of Scotland, I'll come back to kind of winter and uh, summer climbing in Scotland. Um, love to go to Morocco, seen some you know opportunities for big adventures out there, and loads of uh, loads of places I'd like to go. I've never been. To, I've never actually been to Africa as a continent. I've never been to uh, any of the mountains uh, in Africa. And then the other place I really want to go back to is the north face of Triglav. There's a route called the Cop Pillar, uh, which Malcolm and I really want to go and do at some stage, whether it's autumn or whether it's next spring. Um, we'd really love to go and do that. Is that rock or mech? It's or rock. It's, it's rock. rock. It's, a, it's a steep. The north face of Triglav is a steep limestone face. Um, some good rock, some atrocious rock on it. It's just gorgeous. Absolutely amazing place. Um, yeah, so it's it's wonderful. We do that in the cop pillow. It's something we do in uh, doing summer. So it's probably more a spring thing. So maybe next spring. And Chris, Chris Pastor, another great climbing friend, uh, stays in the same village. Chris and I are de- developing our E three tick list um, for for Scottish Rock uh, this year. So you know, Titans Wall, not done that. Um, you know, all sorts of all sorts of things on the Dulark and maybe E four on there. Um, but lots and lots of things to tick off. And, you know, just up the road from here, you know, get on to uh, Hamish Ted's, not got on that. I know that's more than 7A, but you've got to, got to launch onto things and see, and I'll take all the beta that I can get from me on that. I know, I'll have to, um, I'll take yeah. you up to Hamish Ted's and yeah. spray you with all the... That would be really good. <laughs> Intricate really hold beta. Absolutely. But it's, yeah, so I've got I've got a whole load of things I want to do this, this year. Um, I said predominantly because the, the gap of the void of not going off to... To the Himalayas is a big one um, and you know that was we've j- just about sorted out a film deal with that um, Montana say we work with uh, have really been supportive on that um, and yeah it was, it's going to be a good trip um, coronavirus and movement around the world you know uh, dependent but that's probably not going to make much sense in, in, uh, in future edits of this or it'll make a lot of sense who knows, who knows. or we'll all be dead by that or we'll time all be, no we're not doing that no no <laughs> Just keep smiling and we'll get through it. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us. No, I really enjoyed it, man. Really, really enjoyed it. It's it's interesting doing this with no idea of where we're going to go with questions. Now you've got, you know, you've pre-prepared questions stuff there or some pre-prepared questions, but I think the power of just sitting down and having a chat about things is is really good, really useful. And I hope hope it makes sense. I hope people enjoy it as well. Brilliant. Cheers, man. Thank you very much for Simon for coming on the show. As always, if you know anyone else that wants to come on the show, just drop us a line and we'll set up doing some kind of interview. Remember, spread the Scott Rock word. And also, when we do get back outside again, do your buddy checks. One day, they might save someone's life. <laughs> <laughs>